Then a priestess said, speak to us of prayer. And he answered saying, you pray in your distress and in your need. Would that you might pray also in the fullness of your joy and in your days of abundance. For what is prayer but the expansion of yourself into the living ether? And if it's for your comfort to pour your darkness into space, it's also for your delight to pour forth the dawning of your heart. And if you cannot but weep when your soul summons you to prayer, she should spur you again and again, though weeping, until you shall come laughing. When you pray, you rise to meet in the air those who are praying at that very hour and whom save in prayer you may not meet. Therefore, let your visit to the temple invisible be for naught but ecstasy and sweet communion. For if you should enter the temple for no other purpose than asking, you shall not receive. And if you should enter into humble yourself, you shall not be lifted. And even if you should enter into it to beg for the good of others, you shall not be heard. It is enough that you enter the temple invisible. I cannot teach you how to pray in words. God listens not to your words, save when he himself utters them through your lips. And I cannot teach you to pray of the seas and the forests and the mountains. But you who are born of the, mor- the, the mountains and the forests and the seas can find their prayers in your heart. And if you but listen in the stillness of the night, you shall hear them saying in silence, Our God, who art our winged self, it is thy will in us that thou willeth. It is thy desire that thou desireth. It is thy urge in us that would turn our nights, which are thine, into our days, which are also thine. We cannot ask thee for aught, for thou knowest our needs before they are born in us. Thou art our need, and in giving us more of thyself, thou givest us all. From Khalil Gobran's The Prophet, of course. This is part of a continuing series I'm doing on the Sermon on the Mount. And if you want to hear more of them, there are uh, podcasts on the Aspen Chapel podcast from Apple or Google Play. And you can also check out uh, the YouTube channel. So the Sermon on the Mount begins with the Beatitudes. And in that, Jesus shows us the journey that the soul's got to take in order to be able to manifest the nature of Christ. A journey that takes us from not knowing to a full realization of the true nature of reality. Jesus then goes on in the salt and light passage to stress the importance of making the most of the realizations once we have them. And so he starts the journey that we must undertake and stresses the importance of the work and then goes on to lay out a map of the territory that we're in. He begins looking at the law of the land and gives us a new perspective, seeing life from a non-dual position where one uh, has no distinction between heaven or earth. And we therefore have a new way to look at the law and order and everything else. 
Then he asks us to love all creation, including our enemies. A radical understanding that all things have equal value in the spiritual contexts. And then he asks us to look um, and be true to our own inner calling rather than just playing to the gallery. And this next passage that we're going to look at today is about prayer and fasting. He says, and when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they've received their reward in full. And again, he's reinforcing that idea uh, from last week about playing to the gallery. But when you pray, he says, go into your room, close the door and pray to your father who is unseen. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep babbling like the pagans, for they think they'll be heard because of their many words. He then goes on to give us the Lord's Prayer and ends with a passage on fasting that advises us against doing it all for show. When you fast, don't look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others that they are fasting. So this really is Jesus' take on prayer. And it's absolutely key because everybody wants to lift themselves up in prayer at some point in their lives. People reach for prayer. Um, Having laid out all the previous wisdom of the journey, he then tells us how to actively link to God, the Father, the universal mind, the ground of all being. He's given us a way to link into that. He's telling us how to activate wisdom. And what does he say? He says, go to your room and close the door. It's a communion, he says, that happens within. Not babbling with too many words like heathens, but it happens within, in that closed door, in the silence of our hearts. He then goes on to give us the Lord's Prayer. Now, I've done a whole series on the Lord's Prayer, and I'm not going to go into it in huge amounts of detail here. But if you want to access it, you can go to our website and go to the watch page, and you'll see some of them there and also on the podcasts. But just in short, he gave us these words because I believe that they move us step by step to a place where a portal opens within ourselves and the kingdom of heaven is revealed. Each phrase of the Lord's Prayer opens a little bit of ourselves. And so by the end, we're living in the mind of Christ rather than our own rational minds. And that's the purpose of the journey of the prayer. In other words, we open the portal within ourselves and allow the wisdom of the ages to flow through us. And just to give you a quick resume as to, as to how that works. It starts off with the first words, Father of us. It acknowledges the existence of other, acknowledges that there is a divineness and it's not just ourselves that are here. Father of us, the one who is in the heavens. That places that other in relationship to our lives. It is within us. It is all around us. Like a sponge living at the bottom of the seabed with the ocean in and all around the sponge, so we are within the divine presence. It's in us and all around us. Father of us, the one who is in the sevens, hallowed be your nature. It puts us in a correct relationship 
uh, with that supreme being. Literally, may your being be regarded by me with a sense of respect and reverence. We acknowledge that all we do is in the presence of the eternal and we bow down to that magnificence. Father of us, the one who's in the heavens, hallowed be nature, may your kingdom come. May the loving nature come, your loving nature come to order all things. A sort of reference to the second coming, Tiadishadan's omega point. We give up to the wisdom of love that is in the presence and the essence of all being, bringing us to fullness. May your will be done as in heaven, so on earth. Come and inhabit my life. May my life conform to your purposes as I acknowledge that this game is yours and I am part of that game. Wherever you are, you bring about perfection. So bring perfection into my life. Give us today our bread from above that gives our whole life meaning. Give meaning to my life so I may see this bigger picture and how I'm doing to enhance that situation. Cancel our debts as we cancel the accounts of those indebted towards us. May I let go of the attachments I have in my life and so be able to focus on you. And in doing so, may I let go of anything that I'm holding on to other people. So each point, we're moving to a point of letting go. Let us not be led into temptation, but deliver us from evil. May I not be put in situations where I feel the need to choose between my own way and your way. And may I be open to your way. And then the traditional ending, for the kingdom, the power and the glory are yours. For everything that I participate in comes from you. All power comes from you and all thanks for all life goes to you. It's a sort of acknowledgement of ourselves within that divine being. And then now and forever, uh, that acknowledgement of eternal life, that we exist outside time on one level in eternity. So that brings us to a point where we're opening ourselves completely. And that Lord's Prayer has become so central uh, within the Christian heritage. And it's central because it does something to us. It opens us up. Jesus gives this formula for opening ourselves to the Father. And you can be sure that it's a formula that Jesus used himself. That's how teachers work. They pass on what they found works. I use it every day in my meditation. And it's one of those things that have kept me relatively sane for the last 30 years. It enables us to get our rational minds out of the way and have the wisdom of the universal mind come through to us. And I think that that is Jesus's whole attitude to prayer. It's not about babbling to God with a shopping list of things that we want God to deal with. You know, Uncle Joe's bunion, having our stocks go up, having the election go the way that we want it to go. The way people often view prayer is that it's almost like as if we've got some guardian angel with a notepad waiting to hear what we want done and so that she can rush off to God and get God on the case. I think Jesus is suggesting here that prayer is in fact opening ourselves to God and allowing God's wisdom to come through us, almost the reverse of the way that we think about it. There's really only one prayer, and that's thy will be done. 
As Jesus said in Gethsemane, may this cup pass from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. An acknowledgement of his own desire and then giving up to that divine will. So what happens when we pray? What's the ideas around the traditional way that we pray for things? This is my understanding. My understanding is that there's a direction that everything is going in. There is an evolution that we're all going towards. Tiar de Chardin's Omega Point or the Second Coming, um, that moment where all consciousness sees itself within the divine and everything is moving towards that point. And all things either conform to that direction or do not. That's the nature of free will that's built into the system. You can choose to be part of that or not. And it's like a stream flowing uh, down a hill, a stream of water flowing down a hill. The water will eventually get to the bottom. If you get in the way of it, the water is going to go around you. If you open up to be a channel for the water, it will go through you. And our choice, I think, is to be either a channel or not. And I think our prayers are part of that. When we pray, we offer ourselves to God wholly and unconditionally. We try to discern what God is wanting to happen when we pray. And I think our prayers merge with the heavenlies and our will merges with God's will. And I think they do have an effect. It is our willing something to happen that God uses. Our mind focusing on something and the creative power of the universe coming through us and through our mind and through our will. We combine with the purposes of the creative power uh, to make something happen. But if it's not in line with the, the God's purposes, then it doesn't happen even if we pray for it. It's an openness to be a part of that work and if you want to argue with God about that then you just have to chat with Job uh, we're not expected to understand God's purposes just to know that all things work for good for those that love the Lord as it says in Romans so I think it's our will in combination with God's will that makes things happen and I think our prayers do make a difference the word prayer comes from the Latin picari, which means to entreat, to ask earnestly. And the real question here is, is not what is prayer, but who, in fact, are we entreating? Who are we asking earnestly? And I believe that we're opening ourselves to that greater wisdom and are asking that we might be given the wisdom to be appropriate to the events and circumstances that we're praying for. And alongside that, we're offering up specific names. We're throwing our will behind the desire to have healing and have that combined with the will of the divine nature. You know, in the Lord's Prayer, we're talking to our Father. But to a greater extent, I think we're actually talking to ourselves. It's really to us that we entreat. To, we're entreating our rational mind. It's to our rational mind that we're asking earnestly to be doing 
anything else is to give over responsibility in our lives to something else. What we're doing is we're affirming the existence of another and we're asking ourselves to adopt the mindset that will allow the portal to open and the wisdom to come through. In a way, that's, that's how I write these messages, by getting out of the way and just allowing it to come through. In prayer, we're asking our rational minds to allow that deeper wisdom to come through, that we can get out of the way. And I think that to a large extent, that's the case in all prayer. And with fasting, it's the same. It's not to give things up in fasting for the sake of God. It's to give up these comforts that mask our discomfort, our coping mechanisms, and therefore allow us to deal with that which is going on underneath. In fasting, you know, we might give up alcohol or different foods or shopping, or whatever we use to make ourselves feel better. And as a result, the feelings that we're masking come up and we can deal with the deeper reality of what's going on in our lives. So both prayer and fasting are ways that we allow the deeper side of ourselves to come to the fore. And although it says in the Lord's Prayer, Our Father, as you go through it, you realize is that you're talking to yourself. May your kingdom come. You know, may I get out of the way and allow that deeper reality to come through. May I let go of um, and forgive those that I, I haven't forgiven. And may I be forgiven. You're clearing yourself out. As Khalil Gilbran says, you pray in your distress and in your need. Would that you might pray also in the fullness of your joy and in your days of abundance. For what is prayer? but the expansion of yourself into the living ether. And if it's for your comfort to pour your darkness into space, it's also for your delight to pour forth the dawning of your heart. And if you cannot but weep when your soul summons you to prayer, you should spur yourself on and again and again through weeping until you shall come laughing. When you pray, you rise to meet in the air those who are praying at this very hour and whom, save in prayer, you might not meet. Therefore, let your visit to that temple invisible be for naught but ecstasy and sweet communion. For it shall be to enter the temple for no other purpose. If you do it for no other purpose than asking, you shall not receive. If you enter the temple to humble yourself, you shall not be lifted. And if you enter the temple to beg for the good of others, you shall not be heard. It is enough that you enter the temple invisible. So let's, us, open ourselves now and allow ourselves to be affected by all that's around us and all that's within us. Not asking for anything, but that there may be a conduit for wisdom into the world. Let's open ourselves and be mindful of all those who are suffering at the moment. Yeah. So any thoughts about that from you? You know, the, the first thought I had was um, what came to mind was that uh, line from 1 Corinthians 11, I think, or 13 about love. Yeah. Where, it's, where um, Paul says, when I was a child, I, I spoke like a child. I reasoned like a child. Yeah. I thought like a child. But now that I'm a grown man, I put childish ways behind me, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And 
it just made me realize that I think within Christianity, I can only speak really for Christianity, but um, like we need to grow up, you know, in the way that we approach prayer. And I feel like it's, it's as a generalization, we, we all approach prayer still like children, you know, still in a slightly, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Superstitious, you know, a little yeah. bit superstitious and, and a little bit babyish. <laughs> so I like the, um, what you're inviting us to in your talk is just to, um, to approach prayer as, as being in relationship with the divine, you know, yeah. and that it's completely participatory, it's dynamic, it's this dynamism that we're invited to be in. And, um, yeah. The, I mean, to, to do other is, is really to exist in the area of magical consciousness where your words, you know, kids think their words make a difference. You know, you can say mm -hmm. to something, boom, and, and it will happen. Whereas that misses the whole idea that really being a conduit for something that's deeper within ourselves and us participating in a, in a greater whole, which I think is much more, much more of an interesting thing. Yeah, I like to think of the two things that I feel like you drew out there was, um, on the one hand, I mean, I bang on about this all, all the time, <laughs> this idea of the divine indwelling, yeah. you know, that the divine is dwelling inside us and to, to open to that. I love that line that Cahill Gibran said about expand, what was it, expanding? Into the ether, yeah. Into the ether. Like, it's a, such an expansive experience, really, to be in prayer and to, to that mutual indwelling yeah. and the, the fact that it's completely mutual and, and reciprocal, you know, yeah. that, that being in prayer. But that, that's not an end in itself. It's all about allowing wisdom to be activated through being and living in that attitude of prayer. So it's those two things. And um, that, I, also, that also suggests a oneness of things, doesn't it? The, the connecting of things. And if, if it's just you and whatever is going on, there's a disconnect with the greater depth that is there. And, and it's an acknowledgement of the oneness that we're bringing something through. Yeah, I feel like we just need to watch ourselves for when we're being a bit prescriptive with our praying yeah. and a bit almost manipulative, like wanting yeah. to, you know, have God do what we want yeah. rather than living and abiding in this, in this oneness and this unity and yeah. the sweet communion that he talked about. Yeah, good.